0: Uh, Tasin Alam, uh, Bhai is a VC-backed CTO and co-founder of Belong Health. He also has two major startup exits under his belt. Uh, one of the largest health insurance companies in the U.S. acquired his first company, and his startup went public in just three and a half years, dedicated to strategic prowess and dedication to innovation. is an experienced entrepreneur with over 23 years in healthcare. Bai is skilled at building and scaling tech-enabled healthcare companies with notable success as a founding team member or co-founder in the healthcare space. Uh, startups that has been a part of, uh, that he's been a part of has received funding from top healthcare venture firms like Bain Capital, Maverick, and NEA, among others. Uh, this demonstrates the value he provides to the healthcare industry and the quality of his work. In addition to his entrepreneurial achievements, Tausend Bai possesses extensive domain expertise in the health insurance and healthcare delivery space. He has been instrumental in helping launch the modern primary care model and has been a driving force behind advances in population health management. His expertise and experience in healthcare have made him a leading expert and a valuable resource in this ever-changing health landscape. Uh, Tazin Bhai, uh, welcome to Ben. Thank you, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, and I'm very proud to also say that you've recently joined Bangladesh Angel. So this is kind of, you know, we're getting both out of the way, a webinar with you and and kind of introducing you to the community. you know, we like to ask this to everybody who who comes through. So I'll ask this to you. You know, where did you grow up, and when you were younger, what did you aspire to be? Yeah, very
1: good question. And uh, <clears throat> I think thinking back, it's been a long time. <laughs> I grew up in Bangladesh. Actually, I mean, Bangladesh meaning that I uh, I actually um, I was born in Dhaka, grew up in Dhaka. I came to US around 91 for high school. My dad came around 80s um, and then my mom came and then I came over um, about in 91, me and my brother. Um, And uh, my aspiration actually, i would just say, I've always been, uh, I always kind of liked to do things that has impact um, in the community so i always believe that you should as an individual or as a group you should be able to kind of contribute back to the society so that's always been kind of my driving force whatever i do um and uh so yeah i i, I always kind of inspired my was just one of my heroes my dad and my mom both of them they have been kind of driving force encouraging me to kind of do this kind of entrepreneurial work never been never tied me to kind of well you know, work, uh, uh, graduate and then have a job and then just uh, have a family, nothing like that. So we kind of live it kind of, I would just say more of an entrepreneurial kind of mindset, both my parents. So yeah, I'll just say that's kind of like my inspiration.
0: Got it. And, you know, just curious, I mean, in the beginning, in the early part of your career, you know, you had kind of the traditional background, you, you know, graduated and worked in IBM uh, in engineering, but then, yeah. you know, uh, pretty soon after that, you had kind of one of your first startup experiences, and it was with a company called Luminos. So I think mm-hmm. we'll, you know, we'll use your career as a means for us to get to know about the American healthcare ecosystem. Yeah. So could you explain to the audience what was Luminos was doing at the time that you joined yeah. that was innovative, and uh, particularly as related to health savings accounts?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, let me kind of give a little bit background: as how how did I came to healthcare? Um, so when I was in Bangladesh, my dad when uh, he was in the US and he's like, hey, there, you know, you should kind of think about learning some in you know, a computer types of skill. Obviously in Bangladesh in 90s, you don't really have computers available, right? Um, as much. Um, but I get a hand of like this training center where I, I I really loved kind of learning at that time basically you know, how to operate computers. <laughs> Um, I just, I just fell in love with it. So then when I came to US, um, I thought, okay, you know what, I'll well, I, I just want to do whatever it takes to kind of learn about computers. So I, my high school, I did computer science um, and I ended up buying a, obviously, obviously. So at, at early stage, uh, eating, talking about 90s, personal computer wasn't really available as much. Right. So But um, I got hands on one and I just kind of love programming, software engineering, things like that. My first career was when I was still in college, I was senior in college. I actually worked for um, IADB, which is called Inter-American Development Bank. That's kind of part of like World Bank, but they focus mainly in um, Latin American countries. So I came there through one of my high school buddies, his dad. I end up working there uh, as a full-time and I still to also go to school, um, college at full-time uh, in the evening. Um, well, that's going on. So it's purely financial industry, right? In IADB. So I used to focus, I used to manage large databases, you know, huge kind of high transactional uh, financial systems, et cetera, et cetera. Then in 2000, when the dot-com boom happened, I got a call from a recruiter saying that, hey, there's this uh, healthcare company, there's this, you know, um, uh, company that's doing in healthcare. Obviously, uh, if you guys know that in 2000, there's this dot-com boom. And then also it just kind of went, it it just, the bubble was burst, right? So I was like, I'm not going to go go to a dot-net company. They're like, this is not a (laughs) dot-net, this is not a you know, a uh, software company or it's more of a healthcare company, right? Health tech. So I ended up talking to the found, the CEO and the co-founders over there. And I just say the after talking to them, I kind of realized that uh, healthcare, especially in the US, there's so much of a need for innovation um, and, and, and being able to use technology as a way to, reduce a lot of these friction between the patients or the members or the providers of the healthcare delivery systems. Um, and that was kind of my first introduction to a deaf company called Lumina, which was a startup focusing on it is a brand new health plan uh, or health insurance product called high deductible health plan. It also used to be known as consumer Deving health plan. So the idea behind this type of health, and that's when Congress just passed that bill, the health savings account bills. So the idea behind is that whenever you have, so obviously in the US, healthcare is highly regulated, especially in healthcare insurance industries. Um, <clears throat> and there's a the various rules and regulation that you be part of. So the health savings account, the idea behind it was that, think about uh, if you compare this thing to, your 401k versus a retirement account. So in the in the olden days, right, you had retirement accounts where employer would put money into some sort of retirement account. You had no control over it, right? You just knew that when you retire, you would have some money coming in versus 401k, it's still a retirement account, but you have the control of how do you where do you invest, right? You can choose the fund, et cetera. Same kind of goes for these consumer driven health plan or high deductible health plans where you it's more about consumer focused as a, as a consumer of a healthcare insurance. you have the right to kind of choose the doctor that you want to go to, uh, you know how much you want to pay out of pocket versus et cetera et cetera.. It's a pretty, uh, so the idea behind is that you as a consumer can go figure out there's no restriction on which doctor you can go to, right? So things, obviously there's other other restrictions. So that was kind of the whole idea behind it. And this required you to be educated about the healthcare, right? So knowing that, okay, if I go to the doctor A who charges me, let's say $100 for our office visit versus doctor B who charges me $50 for the office visit, but both of them have the same qualification, same number of years, the reason they charge because that way they contract with the health insurance companies. So we, so the part of our whole healthcare offering was to kind of provide that level of education so the consumer can make the right choice. You see like that kind of trend keep coming back right now into the current healthcare industry. So I'll just say that just kind of where it is. So health savings account is like that way health savings account work is your employer. So obviously employer-led health insurance is a big thing in the US because that's where, honestly, that's where most people actually work for a company so they can get a health insurance health insurance is very expensive here so your employer contributes to your healthcare, uh, health insurance right and that's a certain percentage and then you also have the option to kind of contribute to that pool of money and that's what the health savings account is this is a regulated where you can actually put money in there you get tax credit tax break you put the money and then you can use that money anywhere you go so typical insurance if you are in one company um you know whatever the premium that you pay if you don't use it you don't have any you you don't get to uh take it with you versus if you're in a health savings account or the the this uh consumer driven health plan where you can actually contribute money there's really no there's obviously a premium, up. there's no kind of co-pay concept, but it's more about the money that you put in. And then if you move to another company or another insurance, you can take the money with you. The money never goes away. Right. And you can use that money for all types of health related expenses. So uh, and and also this called a high deductible health plan because the deductibles. So again, I don't want to kind of bore everybody. It's, the health insurance is pretty complicated. Even it takes me a while to kind of understand and learn a lot of those things, uh, being in healthcare for a long time. But uh, but, the, but the idea behind is that you don't really have that kind of concept of, uh, your deductible is kind of high in a sense that you have to pay out of your pocket. But again, you have that kind of instrument where you can save the money and you can actually get tax credits. Um, but the... The advantage of that you can just take this money anywhere you want, any insurance company or any other company that you go to.
0: And, and so, was Lumino's one of the first companies working with HSAs uh, in in the yeah. US? And also curious, you know, so why did Anthem Health, uh, which is one of the biggest, yeah. you know, health ins- uh, companies in uh, the US, why did they buy Lumino's?
1: Right. So Lumino's was one of them. There's another, co- and we had another startup called uh, Definitive Health. So. uh, definitely got bought out by United Health Group, which is one of the you know actually the one of the largest, not the largest one. then we got bought out by anthem. So the reason uh, we got bought out by anthem is because of our product offering. Uh, what happened is um, if you kind of think about this um, anthems are this large health insurance companies, they have tons of money, but, they are really not good at executing on new concept of new ideas. So Anthem tried to launch their own, this consumer driven or high deductible health plans. Uh, you know, whatever happens with the, this kind of large organizations, um, they want to kind of just kind of ride the wagon, but they really didn't even think about like the proper product design. Well, obviously for Luminous, we are a startup that's that's kind of only our business. So we are very, um, we, we really make sure that the product that we're building is consumer focused, really having the core of what is it all about. Right. So, and, um, and we got bought out by Anthem because of like the, our kind of product offering and product flexibility that we had. Um, we didn't have that many, we are not profitable, but typically Anthem doesn't buy a company if they're not profitable or they don't bring a lot of lives into their platform. Right. But, we are probably one of the strategic uh, acquisition from Anthem to bring, because we had a very advanced technology that we kind of used to kind of really make sure that there is, uh, that, you know, to to manage and operate this product, it doesn't cost you that much. Right. So that's one of the reasons also kind of product design was very intuitive, uh, very easy to understand, really easy to explain to the employers. So that was kind of like the, one of those main reasons. And also they wanted to kind of, bringing some talents from Luminos. So I joined there um, as as their director to roll out these conservative and help product across all Anthem states. Um, so yeah, that was a great experience.
0: So it didn't quite matter that the company was unprofitable because Anthem you know, itself was a very large, very profitable company. They were interested in the tech, the team, as well as the, the cust- customers that they wanted yeah, to integrate. Exactly. Got it. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. Just keep taking the journey now, and um, you know, I'll go to the next kind of company. I know you had stints in between and a few other places, including an in Anthem. But I guess the next company that you helped kind of start was Evolent Health. Um, could you could you tell us a little bit more about Evolent Health and what what the company was trying to do?
1: Yeah, so Evolent had us part of the founding team. Uh, like when I really joined them, we are about like, 10, 15 people. Um, this is probably one of the most uh, Fastest growing company that I have the opportunity to be part of. So and uh, so, Evolent, uh, Evolent's CTO actually was my CTO at Luminous. <laughs> Um So when we were starting, I uh, he reached out, and also like Anthem's co-founders, um, some of them knew me um, kind of reached out. So, so uh the what Evolent was doing at the time. Again, that at, at a very early stage at that time this whole concept of value-based care. So typically in the US, healthcare is fee for service, meaning that you go to the doctor, doctor sees you and you pay the doctor, right? Doctor has no incentive to make you better. I mean, not saying that that's how all the doctors are, but the, the payment systems or the reimbursement model is such that Physicians really don't have any kind of uh, reason to uh, kind of make you feel better or, or you know, improve your health. So CMS, um, which is a Center for Medicare and Medicaid, that you know obviously they they are one of the largest population that they insure, right? Which is in Medicare. They started uh, started kind of experiment with value based or outcome based um, care, right? Where meaning that you have chronic con- you know patients with the chronic conditions. And you basically create physicians group who will manage these uh, population, and they will get a in you know, a bonus or extra uh, if they can improve the health of those population of those patients, right? So, and there was also another concept of uh, where Evolent started, and this is called the population health management. Um, the idea behind it, again, like going out and really identifying this high-risk population Iran, you, you do a, a very kind of complex analytics to identify this type of population. And then you have a what is called a care management um, uh, team surrounding this population and manage them very intensively to make sure that they're improving their health over time, right? Uh, and also, kind of, you know, prevent them ending up in in emergency rooms and 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 those kind of high cost uh, kind of uh, care delivery environment. So, uh, Evolut was one of the first one to kind of do this, where going in and working with the health systems, hospital systems, and uh, and the and the uh, health plans to kind of do this. So, so that was kind of the whole idea behind this like going out. But on top of that, also they wanted to kind of we would launch health plans very innovative health plans on behalf of health systems typically health systems or hospitals they don't have their own health plan etna united signa they're the largest one right Um, but there was this trend of going out and launching you know a health system driven health plan because they have their own they already have their physicians group so they can use that physician group as a as their provider network so yeah so that was kind of the whole idea behind it
0: got it so and, and it, obviously it's a big company now, it's, you know, it's a publicly listed company. So, yeah. I mean, who does Evelyn Health work for? So they work for these payers, these insurance companies, whether public, like CMS or private. Yeah. Uh, is, is that correct? And how do they make money? How, what yeah. does Evolent do or what, what's the business model there?
1: So Evelyn's business model is they would go into health systems, like the hospital system. So think about, mm-hmm. I don't know, let's just take in, the, in Virginia, Inova, right? You have uh, all these uh, large health systems. Um, They would basically go in and help what's called a value-based transformation for them. That means like getting ready, getting the health system ready to take on what is called risk, meaning that you have all this population, commercial population, also Medicare uh, or Medicare advantage population or MA population or uh, Medicare population. You then, um, they will... You have to set up your organizational structure, also people, process, and technology, so that you can manage this type of patients or this type of you know high risk patients in a way so that you you are you can show you can showcase the the savings and savings in a sense that improving their health on top of the savings over time, right? So it's their work. They typically work with uh, health systems, like in you know, a hospital systems, large hospital systems. Um, they would also we would also work with health plans, health plans in a system. Health plans also what's called they take risks and because they have population, obviously they're insuring that. So I think the health insurance companies has the largest incentive to make sure that the folks that are insured by the company they're healthy, right? Because uh, if you're healthy, you're not paying extra money, right? Or you're not, you know, you, you just can collect the premium dollars. Um, so they would then delegate like some of this high-risk population to Everland. So Everland will basically manage them and, and, and showcase that how are they saving, you know, improving the health of those or condition of this population at the same time saving money by preventing them going to, a, but by making sure that they don't end up in a hospital, in an in a emergency room or other high-cost uh, kind of care
0: settings. Interesting. So on the... Let's say provider side. It's, it almost sounds like a consulting firm that might use analytics and and other things to kind of map out you know how these savings can be realized. And on the provider side, it almost sounds like almost like a subcontractor is like, hey, we're going to take a population from you. And we'll help mm-hmm. kind of manage them, uh, and based on I guess the savings you pay us, is is that correct?
1: Yeah. So so this there's a unique business model for Evoland, which is and, and that's why so Everland, when it first started we it was co-founded by the advisory board, which which is very well known as one of the most largest healthcare consulting company in the US. Uh, Their CEO basically was the co-founder of Everland. Um, Then also EPMC, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, they're very well known for within Pittsburgh area, very well known for their population health management capability, that way they manage, they have their own health plan as well. Uh, both of them actually uh, provided the seed funding for Avalon is like about $140 million um, as a starting. Um, so um, so, so the, the model was kind of unique in a sense that typically you'd see in the value-based kind of environment you have consulting companies, right? like, you know, call it McKinsey, Bain, all these other ones, they would just go in or especially booty consulting company, they would go out, work with their system and give them a kind of blueprint of, okay, this is how you should get ready for a value-based business model or risk-based real business model, right? Then they would, then the health systems or these clients have to go bring in an Implementation partner, like say Accenture or others, to implement, kind of set up their people, process, and technology, et cetera, right? Um, and then they would probably use them or others to kind of operate, right? So you have a consulting advisory, then you have an implementation, and then you have operations, right? Everland, we would come in and actually did all three, which is a very unique business model because typically if you are just providing advisory service you can just say things because you are not you're not responsible for implementing right you're just getting your bucks and you, you just back but for us everland we whatever we say we got to make sure that we can implement it and we got to make sure that we can operate that right so so our offerings are very unique in a sense that is end to end and then after um, you know over time we basically train the our clients' uh, team to kind of take take over and we just back out over time, right? So, yeah, that was kind of unique business model for us.
0: And, and just to kind of contextualize, so you joined when it was like 10, 15 employees, was about to raise at seed round. Obviously, very unique, right? 140 million seed round. Doesn't happen yeah. even that often in, in the U.S. No. And, uh, and by the time you left, you know, what was like the company was public? You know, what sort of revenues did it have? Uh, yeah. How much scale did it have?
1: yeah so so I so uh within three and a half years, we are about thousand and fifteen people. We went public. I think our initial market cap was about one point nine billion when we went public. Uh, obviously the business and after we went public, um I left uh, to kind of start my other ventures, but um but in early state, obviously the business model has changed quite a bit right now. It's more focused on taking on um, health plans and managing those health plans right now, uh, rather than doing a lot of pure pop health or population health activities. Uh, so yeah, I think it's still right now the currently uh, uh, the market cap is about 1.5 or 6 billion you know, uh, uh, market cap. So that. Well, that is really, really, really well so far.
0: Yeah, makes makes a lot of sense. And you know, before we get to Belong, maybe we'll just do two more stops on, yes. on your journey. So one is Envera Health. You know, I, I see that you know they're kind of doing CRM call centers, um, you mm-hmm. know, for uh, like a unified kind of interface for customers. Um, and then you know, Sentivo as well. Um, I see that you know they work with employer health plans. That's one of the yeah. big things. Uh, but could yep. you explain maybe both of those companies and, and your yep. role vis-a-vis them as well?
1: Yeah. So after I left uh, Everland, I started Envera. I co-founded Envera. Uh, this is based out in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, not that far away from where I live uh, so the idea behind Envera, so when I was at Everland, obviously I was involved in everything, business development, all the way to operations, technology, et cetera, et cetera. So one of the things Everland would, would always work with large uh, health systems, right? Which, you know, with a $40, 50000000 million investment from the health systems, you don't see a return within like, you know, like three or four years return, right? So that's not possible for small health systems, right? So so Evelyn would never work with this small health system, but there's a lot of a small health system, they would do a lot of this kind of value-based activities, meaning that they are not a full-blown value-based organization yet, but they were kind of testing out some of the activities. Like for example, they would be part of an accountable care organization and they need some analytics support, right? They would then end up buying uh, software, just to do analytics. Now they're like, okay, it looks like we are doing okay. Now we want to do care management, okay? Do yet go buy another software for managing the care, doing the care management activities? Oh, now we need reportings and other activities who now need to go and end up buying another uh, point solution for doing more of our data warehousing and things like that. Um, so that's just a few examples. So you end up, all these small health systems end up buying a lot of these point solution Um, And then when they're really ready to go to value-based school, value-based care, they they struggle to kind of connect all of them together. So the idea behind it was that, that, okay, why can't we create a platform and basically tech-enabled platform and services that allow these small health systems to test out their value-based activities and actually without buying uh, point solutions. So, for example, if you want to start with a pure analytics kind of services, this platform will provide that. Now, you want to do care management, you just buy the care, or basically, you know, uh, get the care management component, and they're all integrated under one platform. And also, we provide uh, we provide services, uh, meaning like we have our own care managers, we have our own team, so the health systems don't end up having to buy a bunch of these point solutions, hire a lot of people, and then. You know, so so they have a um, kind of more about think about this. The idea behind it was that that way, cloud computing helps a startup to kind of really launch without hiring, buying a bunch of servers, data centers, renting all of those things, right? So that's kind of like the whole idea behind it. So I ended up buying two companies. One was a technology company. Um, another one was a services company so rather than building from a scratch I ended up buying them to and then combine them to kind of build this um, this organization um, so uh, again like the focus was to really forward so we worked with the health systems but at the same time while we're doing that we kind of changed the business model to also focus quite a bit on what we learned that patient access meaning the being able to kind of uh, physicians are always busy now being able to kind of really making sure the right patient is going to the right physician so that matching and the service that that's kind of like that we end up kind of providing and we created this uh, what is called a crm based platform that allows you to see the whole patient journey really making sure the patients is going to the right physicians you have their records and all of those information that can fed back to the analytics engine to do proper analytics and things like that. Mm.
0: Because these smaller regional healthcare providers um, you know, may not be able to invest in these things Correct. Uh, on their own, which makes a right. ton of sense. And then just briefly on Centivo, Centivo. and the yeah. product there. So
1: Centivo is a health plan called uh, health insurance. So there are two types of insurance, right? One is you buy traditional you as an employer, right? Uh, a small or mid-size or large, especially a small and mid-sized business. You uh, buy insurance from Ethna United, all of those, right? So that means that Ethna United, you know, they are giving you the insurance, and you have a uh, health plan services, meaning that you have portal, you have uh, access to the provider, claims get paid, etc., etc. Then there's another types of one, what is called the, the ASO or Administrative Services Only, for anybody who's depending on the states, um, you can for a certain size of an organization, you can be self-insured, meaning that rather than insurance company footing the money for your health insurance expenses, you as an employer have a part of money that you set aside to service your claims and basically for the insurance purposes, right? For those companies, they need uh, all the other health plan management services. That's why it's called ASO or administrative services only type of organization. So companies like Centivo would come in and uh, really take that pool of money, manage it, give you the provider network, um, connecting you with the the right hospital systems, et cetera, really provide all the health plan services that Epna United, would provide minus that insurance risk, but we would also uh, so that's one thing because the risk is being taken by the employer, right? Then another part of that, but then there is also this kind of reinsurance component to this, right? Meaning that there's a rule that you know obviously you have some reserve, but at the same time, if certain claims or uh, like that, your um, your pool of money just you know goes over because you could have a sick population for a while, right? So you may not have money. You need to have this reinsurance. So Centivo would actually provide the reinsurance as well, which is a different, so it's not a primary interest, but it's a reinsurance part of it. So the idea behind it was that can we use technology as a way to kind of reduce a lot of this administrative cost that typically you see in a large organization like Aetna, Cigna United. So that's kind of like what we did. And then also really make the patients and the provider experience frictionless. Uh, Make sure the provider gets paid properly on time and there's no billing error. So we have used technology kind of way to kind of reduce all those manual kind of very expensive tasks that typically is the case with the large insurance companies. And that's what you see these large insurance companies always can hike up their price right. because their admin costs keep going up, right? Um, but for us, we just kind of did that where we actually helped to make sure that you have a better outcome without spending a lot of money and you get a way better service than at or United.
0: Interesting. So, I mean, you were kind of actively helping these employers and I don't know what the, what was the ideal size, but to move away from these large insurers and to you know I guess cheaper alternatives through these reinsurers or
1: yeah so so uh, you know so these comp you're right so a lot of these uh, um, large employers or mid size so we work with the mid and large size organizations or employers so for example uh, big bath and beyond right like companies like those. Um, Um, And as small as, let's say, a small local grocery chain. But it's like, so we have a national and local representation. Um, So uh, it has been, so these large insurance companies, their main business is insurance, right? That's how they make the most money. The administrative services, they make money, but that's not their core business. Um, And obviously, so when somebody takes you know goes to it so Aetna United they also have AS or administrative services only they, they provide that for. Um, and one advantage like these blood insurance companies they have a nationwide uh, provider network, right? So it has been shown that but going with those guys, those folks, doesn't save you money and you end up the employers end up paying more money over time, year over year. Let's say, let's say Microsoft, if Microsoft's health health cost goes up by 5% every year, billions of dollars, right? Um, that, that's out there, not a million, billions. Um, so, so, it's, uh, so these folks kind of got smart and they're like, okay, we can use companies like Centio and folks like that who are innovative and which is the ASO is their core business model. So they're highly focused the success of the company right on the employers and and also Accentivo we you know one of the goal for us or companies like Accentivo we would also go at risk meaning that we would our goal is to kind of save your um, um, what's called uh, cap the cap your expenses to where you are right now, and then bring it down over time, right? And sometimes we go at risk, you know, companies like Centivo, we can go in at risk with, with the employers to make sure that if we are saving money, we, you know, we get extra bonus. If we are not, you know, we can get penalized. So so, so that typically doesn't happen with other insurance companies.
0: Interesting. Uh, and I mean, we're just now getting to what you're doing now, which is both yeah. on health, but I mean, you've had so many different in... Uh, great vantage points into healthcare innovation um, in the U S but yeah, I mean, could you tell us a little bit about belong health, maybe going even to the beginning of the journey, how did you meet your co-founders? You know, what was kind of the the vision that they sold you and, and, you know, what did you see as your kind of value addition vis-a-vis the, the others?
1: Exactly. Yeah, sure. So, so belong health, um, so I have a lot of experience working in a commercial health plan. So commercial health plans are basically, if you think about Aetna, United, you have your own HM, you know, PPO plans, right? Um, that you typically would see. So uh, with the baby boomers becoming, you know, Medicare eligible, you know, and my dad became Medicare eligible, you a know, few years back. So the government, the CMS or the Medicare would have one of the most largest population, uh, health, you know, health insurance population, right? Uh, and there hasn't been enough innovative company coming in and really taking making sure that the health care of the, of the services that's provided for this population is, is, compa- is comparable to uh, what is called uh, commercial, right? Um, now, on top of that, there are also obviously an elderly population, you have a lot of complex conditions or what's called multiple comorbidities. Folks like that, and, and then on top of that, you also have Medicaid population. So this, so what we worked on is, uh, so the bu- idea behind Belong Health was to Really take this Medicare and Medicaid eligible population, which call dual and and, uh, and manage this program called dual special needs programs. Okay, um, and the idea, and you will see the Medicare Advantage uh, health plans. Like say, so our anchor client was MVP Health they had this MA population there managing these things. So these regional health plans, they don't do that much of a good job managing this complex patient population. Now you can really use technology and proper process and people and process to manage this population so that their condition gets better over time and you are not actually spending a lot of money managing them. So that's kind of vision behind it. It's a large population, that in you know, a dire need of proper services um, to make sure that their condition they are just they're not suffering basically that's that's kind of whole idea behind it right and and they have been managed properly so we have a lot of stories and i can talk about this for you know hours and hours as to how we came in and companies like us coming in and also there's really not that many companies out there doing what we are doing at, 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 at belong health uh, so our focus is a couple of things. One is if a health plan has a dual special needs program, they would kind of bring us in to manage that population um, with our people, process, and technology. Uh, and we get involve very deeply. And we do what's called a 50-50 uh, a joint venture model. So that means like that this... Health plans will provide you know, funding and will also provide funding. So it's a, it's a shared risk, right? Uh, upside and downside risk. But but does so that
0: mean does that mean you make your money on on a revenue share basis, on a profit share basis?
1: Both. So so what we'll do is so you have, so think about there's gonna be a joint venture organization that's created. So Belong Health will provide 50% of the cost. This uh this health plans also provide 50% of the cost but we are using the health plans brand, right? Because they have the uh, the Medicare license, uh, Medicare Advantage license, and yes, their population, they're doing all the health plan operations. And we, Belong to Health would provide all the care management activities. And then that's very intense care management. Um, so we would, so for this population, we would take the revenue, we'll just share the, the, the profit and loss, right? Um, like 50 50. So that is kind of just
0: the simplest way to put them in there. Yeah. Got it. And and I was seeing like, so on one hand, you've got kind of uh, regional health plans. Um, right. On the mm-hmm. other hand, within those regional health plans, so this emerging group, this Medicare, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Medicare group, and, and so you're kind of helping them manage them. So that's the kind of value proposition. Is that yeah. correct?
1: So so these regional health plans, uh, regional health plans can actually, depending on their size and their capability, they will would, they would have commercial population, right? Meaning that they, they, in their community, they have, you know, PPO plan, different types of PPO types of plan, but they will also work with CMS. They can launch a Medicare Advantage plan, okay? So Medicare Advantage is kind of, so think about more of a uh, step up from traditional Medicare, which cms provides directly versus medicare advantage is more of a upsell right so it has all the medicare capabilities plus more right and you get like your own app and other services as part of that medicare advantage is also this care management service that cms is mandating for some of these high-risk populations so yeah so we would kind of work with these regional health plans if they have a Medicare Advantage plan and there's a, you know, they can basically in, in they have a these dual special needs program that needs to be managed, we'll do that. But also, what we would do is any uh, region, any kind of states where we see that a great um, health plan or a health system, they have their commercial plan, but they don't have Medicare Advantage, we can help them launch and operate an MA plan. And then also manage a uh, dual specialist care management program. I would say this is a this can get very very complicated because healthcare is so complex in the US. There are so many business models. There are so many ways of doing
0: things. But you, when you say, for example, regional, when you say, for example, Medicaid, so theoretically, then state governments, state insurers, can also be clients. Is that correct?
1: So, so, right. So, so that's why it's, you're right. That's why it can become very complex, right? So the dual special needs population, they have both a Medicare and have Medicaid. Obviously with CMS, none of these are coordinated. So you have a lot of wastage, right? Uh, because let's say part of your services can be paid by Medicare and other part can be Pay, would be paid by Medicaid. So there needs to be some sort of coordination. On top of that, there are a lot of duplication of services that happens between Medicare. So if your patient is a Medicare eligible and also has Medicaid, same services could be duplicated. So you have a lot of wastage. So companies like us can come in and and, this coordination is not simple. It sounds simple <laughs> in and in, in logically it should sound simple, but it is not. There's a lot of activity that goes on. Every state has different Medicaid rules, for example, that you have to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, so companies like us coming in and really providing that coordination and that kind of support um, and managing these patients kind of more of a frictionless way.
0: Interesting. This this is very. This is actually very interesting, and I'm curious. Like you know, I mean, this is a. <laughs> You've had to answer these questions that are much higher level than you know we're used to, uh, but you know we like to ask our entrepreneurs. You know, how do you define your TAM? Right. So, for example, you raised a forty million dollars Series A. How would you define your TAM in this case? Now, how many potential customers would you have, even yeah. in a place like the US? Yeah.
1: So, <clears throat> so there is obviously we have. Um, there are other um, kind of health systems and health plans are trying to do a similar thing, but obviously they're not doing that much of a great job. Um, that's why companies like us exist and can come in and really provide really um, great value. Um, so uh, the way to kind of think about this, uh, especially these types of um, program, you don't need a lot of volume because the reimbursement rate from CMS is pretty high. But the challenge is that these health, health plans or health systems cannot um, capture the 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 majority of the reimbursement rate because they ca- they can't manage this patient. So they actually end up losing money because it's not profitable because they don't have the right process, right people, right technology to kind of manage this patient. Because these are, these are, you know, complex patients um, with a lot of, a lot of conditions. They have a, they have a social needs. They're like, you know, for example, food safety, housing safety. So we, we actually do those as well. Okay. So this is just not a managing their uh, what is called a, a clinical condition, but it's also their social the, their social conditions, right? So we also kind of make sure that the whole person is taken care of, right? Um, so for us, it actually doesn't really take um, that many um, clients to come in. It, it comes down to the volume. Even the volume, we don't really need that much of a volume. The our focus is always how do we optimize the work uh, so that you don't end up adding a lot of headcounts without giving up or reducing the service, right? So, so definitely, and then there's a pretty complex math around how do you kind of define that ham because obviously you can just take the whole like the, the Medicare population right So all these data are very really, you know available uh, but you need to kind of figure so figure out what is your kind of core strength like mm-hmm. what you going to provide like so for, for us if we would only do dNAp the our serviceable our serviceable addressable market is going to be very really small versus now we just we just as you kind of can expand our services our and the capabilities our serviceable addressable market becomes much much bigger.
0: Got it, but I mean, even, even like, let's say when you reach your twenty million dollar round, right? Both, you know, in terms of you as the founding team communicating to the VCs mm-hmm. and the VCs who came in, then do they say, though, that we could we could see this being a four hundred million dollar opportunity, four billion dollar opportunity, forty billion dollar opportunity? Like, how large can can this get when you take this it, specific yeah. subset of, you know, let's say the the consumer base?
1: Yeah, these these type of business can actually have a, have an opportunity to kind of become kind of close to a billion dollar business without if you, do, if you do it the right way because it has that le- and obviously not it's so again I think um, if you compare so we are a tech enabled services company rather than a pure tech company right so because we don't sell product right tech tech products so obviously the tech products you know it's faster for the tech or technology organization to become you know a billion dollar market cap very easily because of like the You build one and boom, you just, you're there. Versus a ticket-enabled services company, you got to continuously kind of focus on service improvement and optimization, right? But the market is that big is that it can become a, it it has an opportunity to become a billion-dollar company.
0: Got it. And, um, got it. And just also on that note, you know, as you were going through that due diligence, you know, what questions do they ask you as a CTO or what what are they most curious about? Yeah, so,
1: again, so that, cto uh, that, that's a very good question <laughs> um, uh, typically you'd see in a technology companies like the cto plays a really really major role right because they are the one who's coming, uh, coming up with and figuring out the latest and the greatest technology and you know if you build it if you put it in the market somebody will buy it right things like that. versus a take enable service company the cto has to really understand healthcare and the business model, as much as the CEO, it's 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 kind of that level of right, really, because otherwise, and there's a lot of example of CTOs coming in and really not understanding the having the domain knowledge could end up building the wrong solution, building the wrong capabilities, and in wasting a lot of money, right? That's easy to do because especially in today's world, because you have so many technology options, you could end up just kind of spending millions and millions of dollars without really having any kind of impact or having the right product. So that's the first thing that they kind of focus on, right? Somebody, a CTO who's more of a business focused, understand the business, understand like the healthcare in its core, and then can kind of lay out a foundation and then build, especially in a startup, right? Uh, what do you see in a typical Silicon Valley tech companies? Build, 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 like a lot of build, right? Early stage, and then boom, then you kind of release the product. Over here. You build gradually, but you have to build the foundation in such a way that you can continuously can build capability, add capability without re-architecture, right? So I just like in my years of experience kind of allowed me to kind of do that kind of because I've seen the both the insurance, which is like the care side of the house, and also the care delivery. In belong health, we do both. I should have mentioned that we also have a care delivery function meaning that we actually have our uh, mental health um, care delivery uh, services that we provide for this population because a lot of this population mental health is a key component of their overall health management. So we launch our own care delivery, uh, mental health care delivery
0: capabilities. Got it. And also just, I mean, just thinking about the future. So I, I would imagine compared to the mainstream population this population might be less profitable for these insurers uh, in the sense that they require more services, they require more, uh, you know, hand-holding and, and obviously, you know, uh, servicing. Um, sure. I mean, could could a future be that, look, you know, this regional healthcare insurer can say, look, Belong Health, why don't you take this customer base? We'll actually give it to you and you manage yeah. it. Uh, and we'll even give you some money to do that. And But it is your customer base now. Could, could that be something that could happen in the future?
1: Well, um, I, I uh, it's a bit more complex than that. I mean, yes, they can. What is called? They can. They, that's what they typically do. They will delegate, right? This customer base, um, and and so actually, uh, it's complex. But you're on the right path, though. That's kind of like the way your questions are in the right path. That's kind of like the way we are also doing it, where we have seen. So you also have to. And so just because somebody is Medicare Advantage or has a Medicare plan, doesn't mean they are. Part of the dual special special needs program, you have to kind of enroll them. So there's a whole sales and marketing component to that. This regional health lens doesn't know how to sell because this, this actually this dual special needs program. You have a extra benefit this member gets, right? Like this intensive care management, all the other the social you know uh, you know um, capabilities like the food safety, housing safety, etc. Right. So there's a whole sales component, BD component, you know, marketing component to this. So we actually now are starting to kind of bring our own team, our BD team, kind of working on behalf of, let's say, these regional health plans to kind of do the sales and marketing, do, you know, do all these kind of activities that typically should have fall within the health plans um, core capabilities. Mister, and then we are and, and to your point i wouldn't be surprised where we actually working with where we can take on like the whole operations our help right from their existing and then these guys focus they can only focus on the commercial plan where we take on and manage the medicare advantage plan operate it manage it and then also manage you know enroll these uh members into the dual special needs program and do the care management on top of the kind of take on the whole thing like the way you say
0: uh, and just on the last role, like you know it, i don't know how big the tech technology team now is at belong health uh, you yeah. know on a day-to-day basis you know what are your how do you split your time you know and and what are, you know curious also let's say recruiting for technical talent in a company that's healthcare first versus let's say you know silicon valley you know curious mm-hmm. how that dynamic works as well
1: yeah, so I, I think uh, I think this uh, again, a like, really good question. So the way my time gets split is, um, I have a, I just said we over long years of in this industry, I have a lot of connections. So actually, I can easily kind of bring in and kind of see. Since I've seen quite a bit, I can really hire people at the right time for the right purposes. Um, I am. So, from the technology perspective, I mean, I love. You know, obviously, I don't code anymore, but I was actually a software engineer. Um, so that's one thing that I kind of kind of think about, about architecture and design. So I I would do all the architecture. I'll do all the design and really bring in people as a, as an FTE to do some of the core work. May, think about more about more about knowledge work that I want to keep it inside. But others, I would use more of an offshore kind of team. Uh so it just doesn't make sense for me to hire a bunch of people just to do write some you know UI, right? I can just use a third party or outsourcing company to kind of do that work because those are more those are more of a tactical work. I don't need somebody to kind of have an FD to then do that kind of work, right? So that's kind of like the way I think. So my teams are very really, um, I don't I don't operate very large team. Uh, and also that my team grows over time as we go to B and C, series B and series C because that's the more of a scaling and you need more operational people. You just need more bodies to kind of do some of this work. But what from day one, what I try to do is kind of optimize, figure, you know, build the platform or the architecture such a way that as I have more work coming in, I just continuously kind of hire one or two people to kind of do this kind of work, or use outsourcing uh, uh, resources. Now, how does it compare to kind of hiring Silicon Valley folks? I I think right now, before COVID, it was really tough. Obviously, you would have to go to um, West Coast or areas like that to identify or find like the great uh, tech talents. Um, and you end up paying for their cost of living adjustment rather than the talent right um with COVID coming in I, I that dynamic has changed quite a bit because people can work from anywhere right um so now the access to tech talents is really not that t- I never had um issues hiring the right people but uh but yeah but I, th- I think like it's I think the challenge is always where you see if uh, if your technology leaders actually understand what needs to be done, you can actually and you can plan it really, really well, right? You can, you don't have to kind of juggle to find the right talent because you have enough time to kind of bring talent. So for example, I know six months from now from now on what type of talent I'm going to need for the things that I'm trying to do, right? So I can get prepared right now and really get the feelers out there, start kind of, reaching out to my network and really identify an individual who I can bring into the team, you know, without paying, you know, eighty thousand dollars just on cost of living adjustment that if I am gonna hire you know just in time from from the West Coast, right? So yeah.
0: And and you said offshoring. So where would you, do you have offshore development centers and, and where yeah. do you have them?
1: So I, I've, uh, I've worked with a bunch of a uh, bunch of kind of uh, consulting companies. there's one in Mexico that I work with very closely. There's one actually based on the US but they also have people in West Coast uh, sorry in, in Mexico and East Coast. Um, so there are a bunch of these organizations. and especially I work very closely with a lot of Latin American companies. And some Bangladeshi uh, companies. I mean, that's kind of one of the things that I want to kind of do. I think I think Bangladesh actually has some great talents um, uh, that that can be leveraged. Uh, So, so that is kind of I do. uh, So, most of my uh, non-critical work is done at offshore in Mexico or Brazil um, in those consulting companies because of the time zone. It's a I think Mexico is like a three-hour time difference. So as if somebody was in West Coast, right? So that helps us versus working in a different time zone is really, really tough because of the you know, the time differences. So that's just kind of like where my most of my opto companies are.
0: Yeah. And I have to ask just as a, you know, we're, we're Bangladesh angels. Yeah. Do you think that makes it hard, for example, for a company like yours to work with software developers and companies from Bangladesh?
1: Well, I worked with uh, companies in India and that's and, um, one of my friends actually has his own company in Bangladesh. So I worked with them as well. I think uh, I think that the time factors can be uh, figured out because there's a lot of companies that do this kind of um, offshoring model, right? Where, you know, there's a huge time difference, right? Um, 12, 14 hours time difference, um, which is fine. I don't think that, that should be the challenge. I think the challenge is right now is really having, uh, especially if you think about from a healthcare perspective, health tech, you don't have, uh, so you just don't wanna hire a general, what is called general, uh, like a software engineers, right? You want to hire people, especially if they're like far away from you, folks who actually have experience working in that kind of industry right so you don't have to explain everything so the the latin american offshore companies that i work with they work with a lot of healthcare companies in the us okay so that's why they get and it's not only me a lot of these other like a health tech startups they use these types of organization in latin america because these guys are you know working with a lot of uh they have a lot of healthcare experience i think if I if I kind of focus on that, it's two things. One is really having some domain experience and expertise in these you know software uh, offshore sh- uh, shops, and, and also you know I think they can they can um, and I'm sure there's organizations like that in Bangladesh. That they are kind of organized and, and, and have the knowledge of how to work with a Western company, right? I think there, I see like it's more of a cultural uh, discipline um, and, and like in a software development discipline, and then also having some domain knowledge that will definitely help. And that's what one of the things that I want to do. I think that like there's a lot of talent in Bangladesh, just needs more, a bit more guidance and, and kind of exposure to kind of Western companies to kind of really can kind of establish that kind of software organizations in Bangladesh, Makes it's sense. Harder than, you know, it sounds, right? But yeah, I would love to talk with you about that. Thank you. Sure.
0: I think we'll end it here, but Paya, yeah, thank you so much for the great conversation. I'll follow up with a few introductions, uh, but really appreciate your time and appreciate the, the those who asked the questions as well. Uh, thanks a lot and we'll be, we'll see each other soon. Yeah,
1: thank you so much for uh, for the opportunity and it is great to meet everybody and I hope to uh have more of this kind of conversation. I think there's a lot of opportunity in Bangladesh. Um and, and this is kind of like one of my goals to kind of really focus and kind of nurture some of this kind of startups environment in Bangladesh. And, and with the uh, you know, actually focusing on quite a bit on the healthcare. I think this is the right time to kind of focus on healthcare types of uh startups in Bangladesh. Yeah.
0: Awesome! Thank you so much, Paya. To Everybody, cheers! Bye. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye.